Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball. So we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The skipper, Kevin Kennedy, and Rich Herrera. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. I'm Rich Herrera. That's the skipper, Kevin Kennedy. And Skip, we're, we're doing this episode on Friday, right when the trade deadline's coming down in order to get players that you can have eligible for the postseason. So we've got a lot to get to. I mean, we're going to have to go rapid fire today. Yeah, we do, and uh, teams are still fighting. I mean, we've... Uh... We'll talk about the Yankees. They made a deal last night, and the Dodgers are still trying to get bullpen help, and uh, teams are teams are fighting. I mean, there's a lot of teams uh, up for the wild card, and uh, they want to at least get that, and if not, uh, they want to win the division. But uh, it's an interesting time of year, and there's been some big deals in the past on August 31st, so we'll see. Well, and people might not understand the difference between the non-waiver, waiver, and, and how the deadlines work. So we've explained over the years that the non-waiver deadline. I get that right? Non-waiver deadline is I have to get that trade done by last month and I don't have to ask for waivers. So I just trade anybody I want, anytime I want, boom, you're done. After we get past the waiver deadline, now if I want to trade someone, I have to put them through waivers. They go through both leagues, my league first, uh, worst record to first, and then the other league after that, worst to first. And if you clear waivers, then I could deal you. So that's what we saw with Bryce Harper. The Dodgers claimed him. They couldn't work out the deal. They pulled him back off waivers. He's still in Washington. Now as we're getting to the deadline coming up today, Skip, this is it. you got to get your players in unless you can find that loophole that can let you bring someone, put them on the roster to take the spot of someone who's on the long-term deal. Yeah, and you have two days to work out a deal. You have basically 48 hours. And if not, uh, three things can happen. Uh, first of all, you can make a trade. And uh, uh, second of all, they can uh, pull you back. Uh, in Ryan Madsen's case, we'll talk about that right now with the Dodgers. Uh, the Nationals had the right to pull him back and have him on the ball club with them for the rest of the year. Try to make a deal with the Dodgers, get something in return of value. Or let him go and let him let the Dodgers pay the $1.3 million. Those are the three things that could happen during the revocable waivers period. All right, well, let's get right to it. The Dodgers, um, am I fair to say beleaguered bullpen uh, when you talk about the Dodgers right now? Well, I, I, I think it's fair because uh, some of their key guys have been gone a long time. Josh Fields, people have forgot about, but he was really the eighth inning guy early in the year, and so was Tony Singrani from the left side. Now, what I hear lately, Singrani may not be back at all, and that's unfortunate. If you look his numbers up, he's been outstanding since he came to the Dodgers from the Reds. And Josh Fields, who was with Toronto and he's been around with a couple of organizations, has been really good since the Dodgers picked him up a couple of years ago. 
So I guess you would call it the revolving door bullpen, getting the ball to Kenley Jansen is what it is. The guys that are in those roles in the seventh and eighth inning have been okay. They've done their job for the most part. It's just when Jansen was out, that's when you really noticed that the ninth inning wasn't covered like it was with when Kenley Jansen was healthy. And, and you've explained this. If you're Doc Roberts, if you're Dave Roberts, the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, you're, when you have Kenley Jansen out there, you're not managing 27 outs. You're managing sometimes 23, sometimes 24 outs if you bring him in for the four-out save. You didn't have to worry about that ninth inning. Without him, now I've got to have a bullpen that's got to cover 27 outs at the end of the ballgame, and that's not as uh, easy as it looks, or, or maybe it just looks a lot easier when you have a guy who's lights out like Kenley Jansen. Yeah, when you've got the lights-out closer, I mean, when you've got the Mariano Rivera of the modern time, that's what Kenley Jansen has been uh, maybe up until this year. Uh, it's been pretty much lights-out once the Dodgers have a lead after eight, the eighth inning. Now, last year, it was two guys. It was a game the Dodgers were winning after seven innings. Forget about it. The game was over. Morrow was almost as good as Kenley Jansen during the regular season. And that's what they really missed this year. That's what the Cubs signed. However, Morrow has had a history of, of issues, uh, injuries over the years. And, you know, last year, he was healthy all the way through until the playoffs. I think you saw him fatigued. He pitched in all seven World Series games, and you could tell that he hit the wall. They, in fact, they didn't want to use him. I believe it was in game five. Dave Roberts didn't want to have to use him at all. Turns out um, Kershaw, I believe, was pitching and uh, hit the wall in the fifth inning. And Maeda came in, gave up the home run to Altuve that tied it, etc. And consequently, Dave Roberts was forced to use Morrow in that game to try to win it. That's the game that went back and forth and a lot of scoring and a lot of home runs. And unfortunately, Morrow um, just ran out of gas. He was just used, you know, too much. And and that's what the Dodgers missed this year during the regular season is a guy like Brandon Morrow. And actually, the Cubs would love to have Brandon Morrow back because uh, they've been mixing and matching in their closer role as well. So they really need Brandon Morrow back. But um, last year was a different story. This year, they just haven't found that one guy to pitch the eighth inning. So it's been a mix and match situation for Dave Roberts. So now I add uh, a guy who had great numbers a year ago. This year, um, not so much. Let's talk about what Madsen's going to bring to that Dodger bullpen. Well, number one, he still throws hard. Uh, he's averaging 96-plus on his fastball this year. Uh, two years ago, uh, after he came back from uh, Tommy John, he was at 94 miles an hour. Gradually, the last two years, his velocity has gotten up. Uh, last year, he was at 96 miles an hour as well. The year before, he was at 95. So since 2014, uh, he missed almost, what, two full years of baseball in the big leagues. Um, his velocity is actually better um, since since the major injury. Now, what happened this year, why he was on the DL here recently with the Nationals, was a nerve irritation problem in his back. And you and I have both had back problems, mm -hmm. and we know what that is. And if you have pain in your back, if you have a – a disc issue or sciatica like I've been going through off and on the last couple of years, there's not a whole lot you can do as an athlete. I mean, you can fake it and try to get through it, but definitely but as, as a pitcher. pitcher as a pitcher, when you have to you, bend your back to follow through, forget it. Can't do it. You, you, you can't finish your pitches off, and so you, you try to fake it. You change your mechanics, and if you continue to pitch with a sore back, um, you'll end up hurting your arm again. So they had to put him on the DL. The Nationals did. He's come off the DL. Um, he's striking out guys. Uh, he's striking out over a man per inning. The velocity's still good. He has an excellent changeup, too, and he mixes in a curveball. Changeup's been a put-away pitch for him as well over the years. And his best years was when he was setting up for Brad Lidge in those Philly years. I was years. just going to say, one of our uh, MLB Network radio compatriots. 
Absolutely. Yeah, he was outstanding in those years. I mean, he was throwing 98 miles an hour. His changeup, I mean, it, it made his fastball look like it was 105 because his changeup was so good. And he set it up for Brad Lidge, who was perfect the World Series year of, of 2008. So that was the bridge to get it to Brad Lidge. So the Dodgers are hoping that they could find lightning in a bottle. They've got nothing to lose. It keeps them under the luxury tax uh, payroll uh, because if $1.3 million is not going to put them above that. So I, I like the move for the Dodgers because they really have nothing to lose. And they didn't give away a huge prospect. And they're just trying to you know, find somebody that's been through it before who has experience. He's been in the World Series. He's been a winner. And if he's healthy and gets really healthy, and he's only been off the DL uh, a couple of weeks or so, um, maybe maybe by the end of September, I mean, he makes the postseason roster and maybe he becomes a real strong eighth-inning guy for the Dodgers. See, maybe before that. We'll find out. We'll see. See, the key to me is that he didn't put them over the luxury tax. That's why I think this is an absolutely brilliant move. When the Dodgers went out and got Manny Machado, they stayed under the luxury tax because enough had, had erased off his contract, but they didn't have a lot of breathing room uh, to stay under that luxury tax. So I know they needed some help with the bullpen, and I've been, for the life of me, trying to figure out where they're going to go find that help and keep them under the luxury tax. They can go out and get somebody else, Kevin, but to keep them at that that rate they need to be at to reset it that they can go crazy next year, to me, this is the best that the Dodgers could pull off. And like you said, if he's lightning in a bottle and he helps you or at least can help you through September, my gosh, that's a brilliant move. Yeah, Rich, when I saw it on Twitter a couple hours ago, I, I, I kind of did a double take. I went, ooh, that's pretty good. And then I went back and looked at his numbers because we saw the Nationals very early in the season. We haven't seen them lately. And he was pitching okay at that time. Uh, but I knew he had been on the DL, so I, I did some homework on him to see exactly what it was. And it's been a major issue with his back. I know his numbers throughout the season now overall are not good. They're over five with the ERA. Since he's come off the DL, he's throwing hard, and apparently there's no pain, but the command has not been good. He's pitched, I think, nine or ten innings. He's hit three guys. He's given up a few home runs to go with his nine or ten strikeouts. So there's been inconsistencies there. Inconsistency there is what that tells me, uh, that, yeah, he still throws hard, but he's not putting the ball exactly where he wants. So when he makes a mistake, he's either running the ball in too hard on, on certain hitters and they're getting hit, or they're leaving, he's leaving it over the plate. And, and every, of course, 98 today or 96 today is different than it was back in 08 because 96 today, which is what he's averaging, a lot of guys throw 96, so that's not going <laughs> to be That's why the, I still want everybody to go out and find a soft-tossing left-hander that throws yeah. under the bat speed. You'll be different. Well, You'll throw off your well, timing. That's, that's a great point you make. I want to get to that in just one second. That's why his changeup becomes so important because he does have that changeup, and that's going to make him even better if he gets command of that. And you talk about guys that are soft tossers. I want to. It just leads me right to Zach Granke for one second. Zach Granke is pitching tonight. I'm working the game with Rick Monday on on Dodger Radio, Dodgers Radio. Um, he and and Hunjin Ryu is throwing for the Dodgers. Ryu's been fantastic since he's come off the DL. Granky's been solid all year. But what Granky's doing this year is exactly what you just said. I looked at Granky's numbers last night. Off his four-seam fastball, the league is hitting over 290 against him. But off his slow curveball, and I mean the super slow curve, it's the almost like bunny. an Ethan's pitch. Yeah. Uh, they're hitting below. They're hitting 143 against him. So he's been using that pitch a lot lately. I expect to see it tonight a lot. And the reason is exactly what you just said, because so many guys are throwing so hard it's tough to adjust to a 65-mile-an-hour, 67-mile-an-hour curveball. They're used to seeing Granky's curve at 72 to 76 miles an hour, but he's taken a lot off that curveball, 
consequently, he's been very effective, and it's made his two seamer better. It's made his, uh, it's made his, uh, and he still throws a hard curve too, but it, it's made his changeup even better because he throws a hard changeup. His changeup differential is only about four or five miles less than his 92 fastball. So this slow curve has become a real big pitch for him. And I watched his last start, and I saw a lot of those uh, slow curveballs. And you're, you're seeing other guys experiment with that. I've been reading about this. Other major league players are now experimenting with a very slow curve. They've been ball. listening to our podcast. I hope so. So anyway, we'll get back to the uh, the trades that are made today. But I just wanted to make that point because I thought it was really good that you brought that up because guys are realizing I need something soft because I got to get these guys off my 98 fastball. Absolutely. And again, hitting is timing. Pitching is disrupting that timing. Um. Oh, I do I bring this up? Do I want to do I want to talk about Yasiel Puig and overrunning the base the other day, Skip? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you could bring it All up. All right. Absolutely. So let me so let me let me bring this up right now. And I was gonna go down this rabbit hole. That was you, last night. Yeah, That's you you play. brought this up. So um here's what happened. Yasiel gets a clean base hit. Uh well it, no, no he, it was an error. It, it was, was an, an error. error. It was an error. So let me let me let me back up for a second, folks. Yasiel Puig gets the first throwing error, overthrows takes a big turn. Kevin, Kevin, you explain it. Well, uh, ball was hit to the right side softly, and Robbie Ray pitched a really good game last night, and uh, Puig got jammed, hit the ball softly. Goldschmidt was playing very wide of, uh, of first base, so he couldn't have got there. He fielded the ball. Robbie Ray, being a lefty, fell off the mound, of course, like he does to the right side, meaning the third base side. Puig can fly, and he was late covering first base, so Goldschmidt was trying to get the ball to Robbie Ray, and he actually threw the ball behind Robbie Ray, and it went. Uh, it was looked like it was going to go into the dugout. But here's one thing that I love seeing this because I don't see enough of this. Uh, the catcher, Murphy, for the uh, D-backs, even though he struck out four times last night, did nothing offensively. He blocked a lot of pitches. He called a good game, and he backed this play up. So Puig knew the ball got by uh, the pitcher on, uh, on the toss by Goldschmidt, and it was a long toss because he was a good 20 feet wide of uh, first base. It wasn't just a 10-foot toss. It was a good 20, 25-foot toss. But uh, Goldsmith threw wide. He doesn't make many errors. He's a great first baseman. But anyway, um, he threw that, and Quig thought it was going to the dugout. Didn't anticipate that the catcher would be backing that up. And on that particular play, on a throw from the first baseman, the catcher has the angle. He will get to that ball. Now, if that ball is hit the third base, and the third baseman throws it away, Catcher can run as hard as he can He's down not the line. Get there. The right He's fielder not gonna is going to end up backing him up. And it doesn't mean you don't run down the line. You do, just in case the carom comes back, et cetera, off the dugout or whatever. But definitely on the right side, when the ball's hit to second base or first base, you as a catcher run trailing the runner. I mean, you run right down the line. You go toward the dugout so you have some distance so you can read an overthrow. And uh, John Ryan Murphy was in perfect position, caught it. Robbie Ray, to his credit, was on the bag at first base. Puig had already made the turn by about three steps and then realized what he had done, turned and tried to get back. And John Ryan Murphy, from his knees, threw a perfect strike to Robbie Ray, about a 20-foot uh, toss as well. And Robbie Ray put the tag on. That was a big play because that let off uh, one of the innings for the Dodgers, and that took him out of uh, what potentially could have been a big inning for them. All right, well, let's take a listen to this as it unfolded. The Diamondback guys who are warming up saying, hit it the other way, will you? The 3-2, ground ball to the right side, slowly hit. Goldschmidt picks it up and throws it away. And now Puig is going to get caught and be tagged out. Yeah, he made the turn to left. 
you can go past the bag and turn to the left as long as you do not make any attempt by any stretch imagination to advance. So he would have been better off turning around to see where the ball had gone. The throw got past Robbie Ray, but John Ryan Murphy was backing up on the play. And then when Puig took the turn. Highlight courtesy of the Dodgers radio network. So, Skip, here's my question. Was that a great play by the catcher or a bad play by Puig? I think it was a great play by the catcher more so because the instincts tell you I can get to second base. Especially when the ball goes sailing past you. Yeah, absolutely. And as soon as Puig turned to his left, now the rule is not if you turn to your left after you cross first base, automatically you're making intent to go to second base. You have to have intent to to go to second base. So you can turn to your left. I remember as a kid I was taught, well, you have to turn to your right to go back to first base when you go straight down the line on a ground ball. Turn your head to the right. No, you don't have to, but it's just a good rule to do so you don't make a mistake like Puig did. You can turn to your left and go back to the bag, but if you turn to your left and start walking back to the bag, and let's say you beat out an infield grounder, um, and you make a st- one step, and the umpire reads intent, believes you were attempting to go to second base, then you're fair game for them to tag you out before you get back to first base. That's what happened last night. His intent was there because he, he did a good two or three strides right. towards second base before he realized, But who would have thunk that Murphy was going to get there to get that ball? That's, that's well, aggressive base running. It's, a, it's aggressive base running, and that's where he plays. And it's also just a great play by the catcher. All catchers should be doing that. I just don't see it enough. I see a lot of catchers just jogging. You know, I see guys just jogging and, and aren't in position to make that play. And I see a lot of lazy catchers today, unfortunately. And, and John Ryan Murphy, he's in there for his defense because he's certainly not a hitter. Um, in fact, he struck out with the bases loaded and one out late in the game uh, mm-hmm. in the eighth inning when the D-backs could have opened up the game. In fact, Bob Brenly was saying, I'm a little surprised Tori Lovello's not pinch hitting right here to try to open up the game because the Dodgers still have a potent lineup. And uh, he did not, and John Ryan Murphy struck out for his fourth time in that at bat. But to his credit, he put the offense aside, he separated it, and played very good defense for all nine innings last night. Absolutely. So again, Twitterverse, you can't get mad. We actually said it was a better play from the catcher. It was not a Yasiel Puig mistake. So, ha, we don't get to beat up on Yasiel Puig for that today. Listen, Rich, real quick. A couple of months ago, Matt Kemp did a similar thing. He turned to his left and, and made a flinch to second base just a flinch and it ended a game i can't remember who it was against off the top of my head because i watched so many games not just the dodgers but, but you made um, a flinch which means you had an attention in the mind of the first the umpire, umpire the umpire red flinch dave roberts on his post-game press conference said you know what it, it was a flinch and technically that shows intent to go to second base and the dodgers that that ended the ball game that night at dodger stadium and so, you know, guys do it because your instincts tell you when the ball gets past the first baseman or the, or the pitcher, ah, I got a chance to go, you know, I'm, go to I'm, second. I can put myself in scoring position. Yeah, and especially in a game where there's no score until Peralta hit the three-run home run and the Dodgers are trying to get back in the game. They get a run back with Machado's home run. It's a very close game. Puig was just trying to do something aggressive. You know, the other day in Texas with the left-handed pitcher Claudio up there, who had his back to third base, Puig tried to steal home with two strikes on Bellinger because Bellinger had some really bad swings off the lefty Claudio of Texas. It wasn't a bad play. It was just great recognition by their catcher, by the Texas Rangers catcher, and by Claudio who stepped off and realized it and threw a strike to home plate, and they just barely got Puig. So these are things that Puig, Puig didn't necessarily do that on his own. That's Chris Woodward at third base telling him, hey, 
you got a chance here. If you get a jump, Claudio's not looking at you. The lefty, he's aggressive. very slow. He's very, very slow to the plate. You might get him to balk a run in, or you'll be able to steal it. Consequently, he tried to steal it, and he got thrown out. But I heard analysts the next day say, oh, Puig made another mistake. He did not. Right. That was not a mistake. That was by design. It was a good chance. <laughs> Dodgers were already up by a few runs. Skip, they were going to win the game, so I, I'm defending Puig on that one. Skip, you're killing the podcast. We're not complaining about Puig, and we're not complaining about the umpires. People aren't going to be entertained with this. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, the hey, one thing about Matson I want to say yes. is that he got he got all the way to the Dodgers. I got to believe that one of the two other teams in the National League West, either Arizona or Colorado, would have claimed. Oh, Matson I would have taken him in a heartbeat. I would just uh, to keep him out of Los Angeles. I think so, but because the Dodgers have been in third place for the last couple of weeks by just a game or so, the Dodgers were able to claim him. So people may wonder why didn't Arizona go for him? They've had bullpen problems. That's the reason why they, they couldn't because the Dodgers were ahead of them as far as the claim process goes. Great point, Skip. Great point. Um, let's move on. The bringer of rain, Josh Donaldson. Uh, he's probably going to get dealt uh, before the end of the night. St. Louis needs some help with Gurko, uh, with Jed Jerko being out and uh, Colton Wong being on the disabled list. What do you think Josh has to offer uh, clubs that are looking for some help right now? Oh, I think I think I take a chance on him. Jerko uh, has a leg issue right now, and he's been big for them. In fact, he hit a big home run against uh, uh, Kenley Jansen a couple of week and a half ago at Dodger Stadium, and the Cardinals ended up winning that game in a tie game in the top of the ninth inning. Carpenter followed with a home run, so he's been a big power source for them. Um, not a great defender, Jerko is, but you need that power bat, and so Josh Donaldson obviously gives you a huge power bat. And he's a decent third baseman. Um, and if he's healthy, I would take a chance for sure. If I if I if I got the claim on him and and uh, he's the Cardinals, then you got to you got to try to make a deal for him, no matter what, because the Cardinals are for real. You know the Cubs are so good they may not win the division. The Cardinals I'm talking about, but right. definitely even if it's a one game wild card, I think they got a real good chance to win whoever they play in that wild card. Absolutely. All right. Uh, one of the deals that did get made: the San Francisco Giants waving the white flag. Uh, no Buster Posey uh, out with the uh, the surgery, and now they've decided to trade uh, Kutch, Andrew McCutcheon, to the New York Yankees. Give me your thoughts. I think it's a good move for the Yankees because, remember, Aaron Judge has been out quite a while, and that tells me right there that they're not sure when Aaron Judge is going to get back, and maybe he won't be ready for the playoffs. Who knows? But that, what this does is... Gives you a veteran guy. Now, obviously, you and I, both on the West Coast, we see a lot of West Coast games. We see a lot of AL West. We see a lot of NL West games. I've seen a ton of Giant games, not just when the Dodgers play them, but I watched the whole series when the D-backs and the Giants played here recently three games, and McCutcheon was a big part of winning two out of three with his defense. He leads off for them, the Giants. He was leading off. He's drawing a lot of walks. He's working to count. He still has home run power. You know, in that ballpark in San Francisco, it's tough to hit homers. He had 14 home runs. Um, so I think, and, and he's running well. He can still steal a base. And like I said, he plays solid defense. He can play left, center, or right. I think it's a really good move for the Yankees. Absolutely. I, I like it a lot. So, Skip, we really are looking at the New York Yankees maybe making sure they have an insurance plan. You mentioned it in case Judge isn't as ready as soon as they thought that he was going to be. That's what that tells me, Rich. Maybe they would have done it anyway. I'm not really sure if Judge was already back in the lineup. Who knows? But this tells me that he's not going to be ready sooner rather than later and that much Cutchin will be out there quite a bit you know, down the stretch. you got a veteran guy. you got a former MVP. He's played very, very well in San Francisco, I think. Um, you know, He's hitting some home runs in a tough ballpark. 
So I, I like the move, and the character is outstanding, as we know, with Andrew McCutcheon. So for the Yankees, yeah, I think that's what that tells you, Rich, is that they're not sure about Aaron Judge. And just to make a reference point that's it's, it's close to it, is that people think when you get hit on a wrist or break a wrist, if there's no surgery, like Justin Turner in spring training, the last day of spring training, he broke his wrist. He got hit by a pitcher from Oakland, and it didn't have surgery, but everybody thought, well, he'll be back in six weeks. He'll be fine. He was not 100% until post-All-Star break. That's when Justin started taking off. That's why he's hitting really well right now. He couldn't finish his swing by his own admission. He still felt pain in there, even though the doctors cleared him to play, talking about Turner now. And it just took it took its time. Nature took its course. You know, Even though the doctors cleared him and there was no fracture in there, it wasn't feeling right as far as Justin Turner was concerned. And he takes his hand off the bat when he finishes. So uh, he's holding that left hand up in a high finish. and he was, It was tough on him. He felt a lot of pain because that's the wrist that he broke. So I think it may be the similar thing for Aaron Judge is that it's just the healing is taking longer than the Yankees anticipated. Plus, you're covering yourself. Why not? If you yeah. can get in before August 31st and the price is okay, you got a chance to do it. you got a really good team. Whether they win the wild, uh, wild card or they win the division, they got a really good team, whoever they play in the wild card, let's say. And they got, they got a team that in normal years feels like they could go to the World Series. Remember, just a year ago, they were one game from going to the World Series against the Astros. I so, worked that game seven. I, uh, they, did you? I was, yeah. prepared, I was prepared for a Yankee postgame show. Yeah, well, there you go. So that's what that's what the Yankees feel. they got a great team, and they're going for it. Can't blame them. Um, meanwhile, let's take a listen to this. How about uh, Giancarlo Stanton with this bomb? The 3-1. Swung on, there it goes to right. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 300. A Stantonian home run. Highlight courtesy of the New York Yankees radio network. Uh, Skip, put a perspective that Stanton is the fastest to 300 home runs in baseball. Uh, he's incredible with the power. Let's just put it that way. I like what he did this year, making adjustments. Remember, a lot of people were booing him early in the season, saying he's terrible, he's awful, he can't play in New York. Uh, a Bronx cheer. Yeah, and uh, you know, he, now he's doing his usual thing. That that lasted about a month and a half to two months, and he had an exaggerated close stance, which he started doing last year because the outside corner. The pitches were just beating him. He and just, that's when he was chasing slider after slider after chasing slider. Chasing slider after slider, absolutely. Now, why, would you, why would you close your stance if you're getting beat by sliders? Little baseball 101. He, because a right-handed pitcher with a slider down away, he had a, a stance that was slightly open before that, and he was looking middle in, and he wasn't getting anything middle in. Consequently, he would pull off the ball, and the slider's breaking away. And he'd roll over and everything. he'd roll it over to shortstop. Yeah, so he closed his stance, which we don't see many closed stances anymore, but he really exaggerated earlier in the season. He's not as exaggerated now as he was back in April, but it was because he wanted to cover the outside corner. Plus what that did in Yankee Stadium, he could catch a slider on the outside corner, pop it up to right field, and he's so strong, he hit it out of the ballpark. Into that That's short what he did. porch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and now that he's leveled that out, he, his stance is still closed, but it's not as exaggerated as it once was. Um, people may flash back that, you know, uh, that are our, from our generation, Rich, and may remember a guy named Joe Rudy who was incredibly close back in the Oakland A's days. Um, I know you, you worked for Oakland, but mm -hmm. not in the 70s, but nonetheless, I mean, everybody seemed to have a closed stance back in the 70s and, and early 80s. And then post-1990, I would say a lot of guys started going to the open stance. And here's the reason um, I ended up going to – I'm just going to bring this up because I was a closed stance hitter myself when I came up. 
Later, I became a slightly open stance hitter. And, you, and Luis Gonzalez comes to mind with Arizona. When he got traded from Detroit to Arizona, Luis was with Detroit. He could not hit, pull the ball and hit it into the seats, the, the second deck in, in uh, Detroit. And I talked to him one time, and I knew the reason why, because I went through it. And I wanted him to do this for one of the shows I was doing with Fox back in the day. He had 50-some-odd home runs in Arizona when he got there. People go, what is he doing? You know, must be doing something wrong. No, he opened his stance. Why did he open his stance? Because his front foot, you can't do, you can't tell your front foot where to go. When people say, just have your front foot stride differently, you can't, it doesn't work that way. It's your base that, that, that tells you, the back foot, that tells you what you're going to do. So if you open your front foot up and you have the open stance, now you just do your normal stride. He was a diver. I call him divers. I was a diver with the front foot. Stanton was a little bit of a diver. Um, and so... Uh, these guys that are divers, um, they end up blocking themselves off on the inside corner. So Stanton ended up going to an open stance. Now, now he's balanced everything out. But um, the open stance for me was like night and day because I couldn't hit an inside fastball because I saw it and I did my normal stride and I ended up stepping across my body. Well, when Luis Gonzalez changed that and went to a wide open stance, he didn't have to think about where his front foot went. As long as he had his back foot in good position, and just set up wide open to begin with, you don't have to think about the feet. You can't think while you're striding. You can't think while you're looking for a 98 fastball. You have to have your mechanics set before the pitch. So when he did that, Rich, now he now when he did his normal stride, he was perpendicular toward the pitcher. He could cover the inside pitch and pull it for a home run. He could cover the outside pitch and drive it to left field. That's why a lot of guys today have gone to the open stance because most of those hitters that do that, they're divers. They're mm. guys that, that, that dive across the plate. And I realized that later in my career. Now, back in our day, we didn't have all the video and see every pitch <laughs> that was thrown to us and all that on, on uh, computers and all that and iPads. But um, finally figured it out just physically, you know, what I, I broke my own self down as far as mechanics. I said, OK. And that's what we had to do back in the Before 70s. Before Tony Gwynn, a Before Tony State Gwynn started a- Aztec yeah. like you, yeah. figured all that out. Uh, yeah. All right, Skip. Uh, September 1st, uh, you can start bringing kids up. Rosters expand. Um, real quick, before we get out of here, uh, give us what happens when the rosters expand and you bring the kids up from the minor leagues. Uh, what's it like for them? What's it like for you? Uh, because inevitably, you'll be listening to a broadcast and some broadcaster is going to complain that there's all these rookies on the plane. There's not enough room in the dugout. There's not enough room in the clubhouses. We never hear the benefits of what it's like for one of these kids that are going to get called up uh, to get an opportunity to dress at Yankee Stadium. That's a great point, Rich. A lot of guys complain about that. I talked to Rick Monday about this, my partner on Dodgers Radio when I work. Uh, Rick works normally with Charlie Steiner most of the time, but when, when uh, I get to do the 40 games, it's, it's Charlie goes to TV and then I do Dodgers Radio. And I've gotten to know Rick the last six years so well. We're great friends. We talk every single day. Uh, we go to dinner on the road. He is a phenomenal person and, and, and a, an American hero, too, saving the flag. Um, what happened to Rick? Rick is a big proponent of calling guys up. He said, listen, Kevin, I, I got to the big leagues fast. I was young. I came one year out of Arizona State, number one pick in the draft in 1965. A year later, he's in the big leagues with Kansas City, the Royal, the A's, excuse me, Kansas City A's before they moved to Oakland. And he said, I got called up, and that last month in September helped me a ton. And the next year, I mean, he ended up having a, a great year and a 19-year, 20-year career in the big leagues after that. He thought it was night and day that last month of September because he was being played a lot. Now, if you're not playing a lot, it might be a little bit different. I had Nomar Garcia Parr in Boston. We called him up in 96. 
he played every day for me. I put him in a lineup, usually batted him fifth. Um, he hit 240, 245, 250, he hit five or six home runs. He played a great shortstop. We needed him. We got back in the race. We almost won the wild card. We didn't. It just came up short after a brutal first half. Point being, the next year, Nomar takes off, and you know the rest of the story. A year later, he gets a five-year deal as a as a two-year player, uh, two-time batting champ, the whole nine yards. But that month in the big leagues, because we played him every day, we knew he was going to be our shortstop the following year, helped him a ton. So if, if you're going to play a guy, that's great. Now, here's the other thing. Some organizations don't want to call too many guys up. Because it because starts the service time. It starts the service time. Exactly so right. And, so and what happens, folks, let me let me jump in here. Yeah, for go ahead. Go ahead so, and talk about so, that. So yeah. uh, the Padres brought up a kid named Luis Urias, who, Skip, he, yeah. is, he is something special. The real deal, right? But what happens is I've now started the clock ticking on his service time that leads to arbitration and free agency. So a lot of times you'll see teams, they'll leave a kid down in the minor leagues for the first month and a half of the season, not because they don't think he can play in the big leagues, is they don't want to start the clock ticking on Evan his service Evan Longoria, time. Evan Longoria. Evan Longoria. 100%. <laughs> uh, and, and that's where you will see agents get mad. But what happens is it's the amount of service time at the end of the season. So if I hold you back and I don't bring you up early, like you've done with some players, or I, I leave you down there for an extra month and a half, at the end of everything, whether it's arbitration, and, and it's changed a little bit with Super 2s, but basically you get one extra year of service time from that player. So if I leave you down in the minor leagues until, let's say, June of 2020, now you're not eligible to be a free agent until 20. 27 instead of 2026 20, after your six years. Right. So I cheated you out of a portion of a full year of service time in order to hold on to you for one extra year. At the time, it seems like the most ridiculous thing in the world to hold a kid down in the minor leagues before he's ready to come up just because you're trying to save that service time. At the end of that six years, it's the smartest thing you've ever done because you get to hold on to that player that's going to leave you via free agency like a Bryce Harper for one extra season. See, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring up Vladdy Guerrero Jr. with uh, Toronto mm -hmm. uh, because technically they could keep him down, but I, I, I you've got to call him up, don't you? The guy's been hitting, what, 400 in the minor leagues most yeah. of the year? or if I bring him up, then I, he might not break camp with me because I, I think it's foolhardy from the, from the organization's perspective. It, it, the chance of having him for six years or seven years – I'm always going to opt for seven years if he's that special. Yeah, I, I think from a business standpoint, that's what could happen. But from a player standpoint, he deserves it. He's going to be in the uh, lineup every day next year. Right. He might be the rookie of the year. Who knows? He might be a Hall of Famer like his dad. I am told by scouts that have seen him, he's the real deal. And he deserves to be in the big leagues. He could have been in the big leagues two months ago, but Toronto's not winning. They're not going anywhere this year. So why am I going to bring him up start the clock ticking? I, I would. i bring him up. I, I'm sorry. I, you gotta, you gotta get him acclimated to the big well, ones. It would help a lot, right. just like it did Rick Monday back in his day. Now, back in his day, of course, they didn't even have free agency, so it's different. Had <laughs> uh, had Kansas City had free agency uh, back in those days in the '60s, it might have been different. They might, they might, they might not have called Rick Monday up because well, Rick was only remember he signed out of high out of high school. He went to Arizona State for he signed out of college, but he only had one year in college, right? And then he signed, so he signed when he was like 19. So Rick was like, what, 19, 20 years right. old he couldn't even when he be, got called up. He couldn't but even in today's day and age, you're right. He probably wouldn't be called up. But I'm going to be looking at that one to see if, if he gets called up or not. Well, I mean, I know the agents will be complaining. The oh yeah. kid would be complaining. And the, and the agents, and the, agents and, the, and the parents and the kids should be complaining. But I, I, I'll give you one before we get out of here. Uh, Eric Chavez, when Xavi uh, came up, 
Uh, remember, he was a high schooler out of Mount Carmel High School. He went to the same high school as Billy Bean. Uh, uh-huh. When he came up, they said, we're going to bring you up. And I'm not sure. I, I got to look to see if it started a service time or not. But they brought him up and said for the month, they said, you're not going to play. You're just here to experience everything. So you're not going to be intimidated. You'll know your teammates when you get to spring training because you'll be our starting third baseman. So I remember he said uh, the, the media talked to him. And, and what they said was, don't talk to anybody, don't listen to anybody, just stay there and observe. So the media says, hey, what can you learn from Mike Blowers and Ed Sprague? And Shavi looks at him and says, nothing. They told me not to listen to anything anybody has to say. <laughs> and he got killed. But what they wanted to do was just make it easy for him next spring training that he would be comfortable and he'd know everybody and he knew his way around the clubhouse. I'm surprised. I don't think that could happen today. I no. think the union would jump on that. I think that's all changed. I don't think that could that could happen at all. Plus, you got rules. If a guy's up there and he's in uniform, he can't be on with the team. You know, during game time, he, he has to be out of uniform. Right. He can't be. You can't have. Uh, you know, otherwise you could call forty. You know, have a forty-five man roster, five guys uh, just just sitting there. And technically, teams do that sometimes. They just don't have them working out there. They have right. them in town just to be uh, around. Ready. And yeah. In case Absolutely. somebody gets hurt and all that. So, yeah, I, I don't think you do something like that with Vlad Guerrero Jr. But one other thing we should talk about before we, we, we break, who you call up and, and what you call up, speed. I'm a big believer is you need a speed guy or two in September. They can make a difference to the game. So I would call up. It may not be a guy that has a great batting average. Maybe he didn't even have a great year offensively. But if he's got a Billy Hamilton type speed. I was just going to say Billy Hamilton. It, or which who came up or a D Gordon type speed to me that guy's a, a pinch runner a difference maker in a close game down the stretch he could make the difference between a win and a loss I mean we've seen some teams recently use pitchers right. because today today uh, before the expansion of course everybody can bring up their their whole roster if they want they can lead, get fifteen guys called up if they want up to forty so it's going to be crazy yeah the clubhouse are going to be full but I think most of these teams now are going to, that are in a playoffs have a chance for playoffs they're going to bring up guys that will benefit and and that they'll use i mean pitchers that they'll use uh relievers that they'll use pinch runners that they'll use hey, maybe, a Rob, def- you maybe a defense maybe a defensive outfielder that'll be better than what they have out there things like that those types of guys will be called up for teams that are in the race to, to go to the playoffs or the wild card because they can help them win a game defensively or with their speed or maybe even an extra bullpen or two pitcher come on Skip, well. think about this would the Boston Red Sox be where they are right now if Dave Roberts hadn't stolen that base? No, no. I mean, when that trade happened, Dave was playing every day for the Dodgers, and he was upset leaving the Dodgers, but uh, the Red Sox had a good outfielder. They could play all three positions in the outfield, and uh, Red Sox historically were not a running team. I had uh, base stealers when I managed there. I loved the running game. We had six guys in double figures in stolen bases, but uh, before that and after, they haven't done much of that. But that stolen base... When he uh, pinch ran and, and he stole that base, uh, when the Red Sox were down three games to none to the Yankees, they come back because of that, win that game off of Mariona Rivera, and go on to f- uh, win those four games and then uh, swept the World Series. They won uh, changed, all the rest of the games. It, cha- yeah. it changed the fortune of the franchise. All right, yep. that's going to do it for the podcast for this week. We'll be back after Labor Day. Hope everybody has a nice holiday uh, weekend. Uh, Skip, this was fun. Yeah, I always enjoy it. Great time of year, and uh, I'm anxious to see uh, what other trades might might come down. Uh, yeah, for, and, we'll, uh, and it'll, it'll be eligible. In the next show, we'll have to also talk about the uh, matchup this weekend. Big matchup 
with the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. All right, that's going to be it. If you want to find Kevin, Kevin Kennedy, MLB on Twitter, I am RBI Rich. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.